to the Slugger Tool, the Reset Podcast in association with Ulsterbank. My name is Brian O'Neill and my guest today is Steve Bradley. Steve is a regeneration consultant. He is a native of, of Derry and on today's show we will discuss the future of the Northwest after COVID-19. Steve, thanks very much for being on the show. My pleasure, Brian. How are you keeping? All good, all good. Um, now I know you're you're based in England, but you you were home a few times uh, during the summer, and I know you're um, thinking of of moving back. Um, so are you going you going to be embracing this new world of remote working? Yeah, I mean it was something I was thinking about prior to COVID. Anyway, uh, the theory is you should live in a low cost area and work in a high cost area and get the best of both worlds. Um, I could live, uh, I was thinking about moving to Northern Ireland and I toyed with Belfast for a while, but my heart was really in Derry. Um, so I could live in Derry, have access to the airports, be able to get over to England if needs be for meetings and basically bill, bill at London prices and live at Derry prices and kind of get the best of both worlds. So it's not 100%, but it's looking likely that that's the route I'm going to go down. Yeah, I mean, it does make sense. Um, we were in... Uh... Little Wing Pizzeria last year in Hollywood and we were uh, there was a little playground at the back and, and the wife was chatting with some guy who was out playing with we have a five year old and he was, he was out with his kid and he was telling us that he had moved from London over to Hollywood and he was just commuting now this was all before COVID or anything like that but he just he just moved over he said for the quality of life because um, he said within 10 minutes he could be at the, the George Best airport and on a plane over to London and he said his commute from Hollywood was actually quicker than when he lived, you know, outside London <laughs> from whatever it was. And uh, he'd saved so much. He actually had a, a second like home somewhere down Strangford Lock. So he was he was very happy. I mean, for all we know, he's, he's probably like a plumber in London. <laughs> I'm sure he had, had, not, I don't know if he was particularly high flyer, but uh, it, it, it shows that, I mean, there was a certain amount of people I think cottoned on to the fact that you could live in uh, one place and, and work in another city. Yeah, there's always been a lot of people in Ireland and Northern Ireland. There's a lot of people at the airports on a Monday morning, and they're not just professionals. There's a lot of people who are in the trades, who are going over, working on building sites. Some of them will be quite skilled, you know, in engineers and surveyors, that sort of thing. Other of them are just basically ordinary uh, builders, effectively, who are getting paid a small fortune to work on sites in London. Uh, they, They live pretty modestly for the week bank a load of money and come back and see their family and friends on the weekend and you know the, the, a lot of people have a high tolerance they'll do that for quite a long period of time it's basically anybody of a certain age will remember off we some pet a tv show in yeah. the 80s which is mm-hmm. basically about geordie's going off to germany to cash in on the fact that there was no jobs in newcastle lots of well-paid work in germany um you can do that in any number of places and a lot of people from northern ireland and the island of ireland have been doing that in england for years um and uh, you know now in the context of COVID and a lot of people rethinking what they want from their life, where they want to live, you know, I can only see that continuing. Yeah, because I mean, my brother-in-law is a, a, is a bricklayer and he was over in Edinburgh last year uh, for a few months because, uh, again, you know, they were just getting like whatever, double or treble the rates that you were getting here. And he just went over for a few months. And that, that's a very common thing, you know, of, of all the kind of different jobs, you know, people come back and forward. I remember the wife telling me that... Um, guy she knows got a job with one of the London universities and he decided to just keep living in Brussels I think it was because <laughs> he could just he could just commute a few days a week and it was actually cheaper than trying to get a place in London so you got some kind of a extreme commutes out there um but it is I mean it's a fascinating time because we're all kind of seeing new ways of of working and new ways of doing things I mean I know obviously as COVID is a tragedy and and uh, deaths and illness out of it. But I mean, it is a chance to kind of pause and reevaluate kind of what's important and, and, and how we work. I mean, have you, was there any um, other insights that you, you've found during the past few months? I mean, it, it's, it, it's a massive opportunity. COVID, obviously a huge threat and we shouldn't in any means uh, play down the negative impact it's had on individuals who've been impacted and on society as a whole. I mean, it would be glib to pretend that hasn't happened. But when you when you think about things, it's so rare that there's an opportunity to kind of 
rethink and restart in many ways how societies function. Uh, the status quo anywhere tends to be self-reinforcing and people tend to basically be in their own groove, get it on and doing things. And that's one of the reasons why the way things are is often very hard to change and te- things tend to evolve very slowly. What you see with COVID is, you know, we're effectively having years of social change happening within a matter of months. Um, it will be interesting to see how many of those changes persist and go into the future. I think there's some we can be pretty sure will. There's some we can guess. Because w- what sometimes happens with these events is that there's changes in unexpected ways, uh, which you would never have thought before, but you sort of pop up and then kind of make sense and then persist. But, you know, the, the, the movement of people um, doing more homeworking, that was slowly happening within society. But now, you know, there's figures out there, uh, surveys that have happened recently, whether it be banking and offices, where you've got, you know, sort of 50 plus percent of people say they want to work more from home. Um, a lot of people just don't really want to go back to working in offices. Um, that has pluses for society. It has downsides as well. It's not good for companies if you have a really dispersed workforce and you miss out on that sort of synergy of having people in the same room bouncing ideas off each other. But it's really it's really interesting how, you know, sociologists and social scientists will look back at 2020 in about 10 years time and be, you know, trawling through it with a trial and really trying to work out how much of that year became a pivot for how things have changed. So it's a really, really interesting time in that regard. Yeah, I can imagine um, people, some people in Derry who maybe could have been, you know, could be spending three or four hours a day commuting to Belfast, and now if they're if they're working from home, I mean, they must be loving it. I mean, have you any friends who are in this kind of situation who are, uh, used to do the extreme commutes and now they've got more time and they're they're kind of happy enough working from home? Yeah, I mean, my father, who's now retired, but I'll give you an example. He got a job in Belfast in nineteen. 19- 80 or 81, basically around the time of hunger strikes, uh, the family took a decision not to move to Belfast uh, because, you know, Derry was much quieter. People not, people who don't know the city may find it hard to believe, but Derry was also was always much quieter and just felt safer uh, during the trouble. So they took a con- my parents took a conscious decision not to move to Belfast. So my father then spent 20 years of his life commuting up and down every single day to Belfast, and he was by no means the only one. There was you know, almost like a club of people who would be on the 212 bus going out of Derry at about six in the morning, half six, who you'd see the same faces all the time. That hasn't stopped even since the 80s. You know, uh, Derry's economy has improved since then, but there is still a large number of people, particularly in the public sector, who regularly commute up and down from Derry, such that on the rare occasions that we do get civil service jobs moving to the Northwest, they're almost all eaten up by internal transfers. Uh, by people who've been doing this 20-year community thinking of sod this, let me move back to Derry and have a job there. Um, so it's, it's rare that any of those civil service transfers result in ads and papers and people getting new jobs. It tends to be these um, these commuters uh, moving out. So there is still a large cohort of people in Derry who make that journey. Um, hopefully, with the public sector and uh, you know the various departments are being more amenable to them working from home longer term. At the very least, there's no reason why those people couldn't do, say, a Monday and a Friday in Derry and then go up to Belfast the rest of the time or even do what we're doing. You know, nobody had heard of the word Zoom uh, as, as, you know, as a phenomenon six months ago or sorry, just over six months ago. Now it's, it's, it's a massive company um, and everybody's familiar with the idea of video working and is much more comfortable with it. Um, that can and should continue. But it's very noticeable in Derry, a, a big chunk of the workforce lives in the city for quality of life purposes, but works elsewhere and works quite a considerable commute elsewhere. Yeah, because if you are, I mean, the advantage, as you say, of Derry is is quality of life, because if you're able to work in the town, I mean, you've got Donegal on your doorstep, you've got the North Coast, um, you know, you've got the lock, you can be half an hour, you're at a beautiful beach. So, I mean, the possibilities there for quality of life are very high but obviously we've always had this issue of the the whole economics and with COVID with remote working I mean it has the potential to revitalise not just Derry but kind of a, a lot of areas of Northern Ireland Yeah absolutely I mean Northern Ireland's very centralised I, I would 
I don't think it's unfair to characterise it as effectively a Belfast city-state. I don't think Northern Ireland, apart from the brief uh, flurry in the 60s with the Craig Avon concept, I don't think Northern Ireland has genuinely tried to have uh, a rebalancing away from Belfast. And even that whole um, 1960s Craig Avon project was, you know, 30 miles from Belfast. You know, if you want to rebalance Northern Ireland, you don't look to create a, a big second city within a stone's throw of the main city. So we've never really done this in Northern Ireland. And as a result, our population is very heavily skewed towards Greater Belfast and the East. So there's an opportunity now for, and it'll be very dispersed individual decisions, lots of people deciding what works for them, which will hopefully aggregate up into a bigger whole. Um, rather than the usual would say of, of um, you know, transferring civil service departments wholesale out of Belfast to different areas, which would move, you know, like a thousand staff and then 2,000 family members in one go. This would be lots of dispersed individual decisions, which will all add up into a bigger picture. But yeah, I, mean, I, I would be hopeful that it, may, it is better news for the parts of Northern Ireland, which haven't been as buoyant and have basically struggled to maintain population. Um, Northern Ireland's small. You can live pretty much anywhere in Northern Ireland and still have relatively easy access to Belfast. Uh, you know, our, our transport infrastructure isn't great, so most of those people will end up driving. Um, but unless you're at the back end of Fermanagh, it's pretty easy in the grand scheme of things to get to and from Belfast or anywhere else in Northern Ireland that you need to. So hopefully this is the start of a process which will start to see a bit of population and skill shift away from Belfast towards other areas of Northern Ireland. And that will obviously bring spending power and everything else with it as well. Yeah, because I, I I wrote about this last week of how um, you know Belfast's kind of decline for all this is probably good news for the rest of, of Northern Ireland. Because in, in simple terms, I mean all those people who would have been commuting to Belfast every day now if they're working from home, it means they're just gonna stay in their like kind of local shops and cafe and go out for lunch and meet their friends, and and it, it kind of keeps the money within the local area whereas before you know they were spending two or three hours sitting in a car on the west link all of them um you know commuting to belfast so i i think in terms of reducing the well maybe inequality is the wrong word but between belfast and the rest of northern ireland that kind of levels the playing field a bit which i think could be positive so Steve, your work as a regeneration consultant, I mean, I'm sure you've used your, your skills to apply it to, to your hometown. And I know you've written quite a few pieces on Slugger, which have, have always been very popular. Um, so can you give us some ideas that you think of what Derry can do in the kind of after COVID, but not just after COVID, but just in, in this new kind of 21st century to, to revitalize itself? Yeah, I mean, so I would start off with some of the basics. I think Derry doesn't have, and you could argue has been denied, some of the basics that urban areas need to prosper. And they would, for me, would be primarily in the realms of connectivity and in skills. There are certain core ingredients that, you know, you can't bake a cake of a successful uh, city unless they're in place. So for connectivity, it's I guess it's well known in this stage in Northern Ireland, but our transport isn't great across the whole jurisdiction, and it's particularly poor in the West. Um, Derry, is, as is often mentioned, is the only city on the island not connected to any other city by either a dual carriageway or a motorway. I know people will say it, will say Armagh, but Armagh is a stone's throw from a motorway, let's be honest. Um, so to all intents and purposes, it is connected. Um, so, it's, so Derry, despite being the fourth biggest city on the island and the second urban area in Northern Ireland, is suffer some poor connectivity and that really does matter because if you think about it if you're company x but has been brought in from malaysia china america it doesn't matter where and you're considering investing in northern ireland you're not going to gravitate towards an area where it's difficult for your staff and your product to get in and out and you know that's almost so obvious it doesn't bear stating but that's why we end up with a situation where most the vast majority of the external investment that comes to Northern Ireland goes towards Belfast, which has by far the best connectivity. So there's a piece of work to be done around connectivity in Derry, um, regardless of COVID. Um, it's something that, you know, it's one of the basics we need to sort out. And another area is around skills. Again, if we want major employers to come to Derry, 
there needs to be a skilled workforce there who are either ready for the type of work that's, that will be available or who have the capacity to be quickly and easily trained up in it. And that's, we're talking in the realms of further and higher education for that. Um, again, as is well known, Derry has a witheringly small university campus. It has the fourth priority campus of Northern Ireland's second priority university. Um, for a city of its size, it, it, it's appallingly low. It has, it has the lowest higher education provision of the 14 towns and cities on the island which offer higher education. Letterkenny, for example, which doesn't even have a university, offers more degree-level places than Derry does, as does Sligo, which is a fifth the size of Derry. And without people within the city being able to access education, and not just when they're 18, but throughout their adult life as well, being able to retrain, and without people moving to the city for these educational opportunities and deciding to stay, then again, there isn't that pool, that readily accessible pool of people for any employer to come in and say, yes, I will base in Derry because not only can I get my people and products in and out, there's good people there who I can train up to do the work type of work I want them to do. So those are the broad areas of the basics which are currently missing in the city, the connectivity with the outside world and the skills pool. Uh, neither of which really is connected into COVID. These are problems that were there before. COVID will present some challenges because there's question marks around the, 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 the economic viability of uh, public transport in Northern Ireland if people are commuting less, traveling less, for example. Um, we, we, hopefully things will return to the degree of normality and people will want to use trains and buses and things like that, so they will be viable. But uh, you know, Northern Ireland's a small place and a lot of these routes were, were, were surviving with uh, subsidy. Uh, and there's only so much of that, I guess, that can be offered by the public purse. So there's a question mark around that. Um, but if COVID is seeing more people stay in Derry or move back to Derry, then that opens up possibilities for the skills pool to be increased. Uh, but at the moment, you know, the city has um, the, the, you know, the, the, the lowest level of, of um, uh, third level education of any district within Northern Ireland. And that's not conducive to attracting in employers, especially the kind of employers who would offer high wages. Uh, good work with strong prospects in growing sectors of the economy. Um, okay. So, um, yeah. Because just one thing is kind of curious to me. I, I can understand uh, uh, transport links are, are very important, but is it less important for knowledge work where you could argue that, you know, the kind of broadband links are, are more important than the actual physical links, you know, kind of where, where your product is, is, is noughts and zeros, do you know what I mean? Does it does it become less of, of, of an issue, the location? In, in isolation, it doesn't. But what, what you tend to happen is you have clusters um, of these organizations, um, you, almost ecosystems. So knowledge businesses will want to be near, generally will want to be near other knowledge systems who they can either poach talent from or, you know, work with uh, and engage with. So that's why you find these things Often you find hotspots, whether it be in the US, you know, in Silicon Valley, around Seattle, places like that. It's very rare to have uh, any sectors which are really dispersed around jurisdictions. They tend to cluster. You look at Northern Ireland, even like the extractive industries, mining and things like that, they're all huddling around the middle floor area, that small stretch between Dungan and Kutztown, Maharafel, places like that. It's because businesses tend to cluster with organizations similar to themselves because there's synergistic opportunities, there's talent opportunities, and it just gets this momentum going. Uh, and that would be no different for the knowledge sector. So there's a real risk, again, that if most of the knowledge rules in Northern Ireland gravitate towards Belfast, we won't get a critical mass in other places so that it's easy for companies to look to relocate. Um, again, if, if only for the fact that if you have a knowledge-based business in Derry, and you will have a turnover of staff and you need to recruit more staff. If there aren't people skilled in that area and aren't other companies you can nick your staff from, you then have to go to the process of selling people, not just in joining your company, but on relocating to your city. And that's a, a whole secondary level of complication. Um, just off, off on a slight tangent, because we, we had uh, Greg Keefe on the show a few weeks ago who is a kind of architect and urban designer. He's um, from Queens. But he has this uh, concept that he described Northern Ireland as a low-density 
distributed city, which I kind of blew my mind. Um, he's from Manchester, but his, his basic point was that instead, at the moment, we kind of think of everything in little fiefdoms. You know, you got Belfast, you've got Derry, you've got Armagh, and, you know, all, all the all kind of vying for attention and investment and money, etc. Where, as he said, that if you think of it, Northern Ireland essentially as one place, it becomes easier to kind of plan, you know, your kind of hospitals, your schools, whatever, if you kind of look at it holistically. And it made a certain amount of sense to me because he would give the arguments that, I mean, you, you live in London or work in London and it can take you like two hours getting from the top of London to the bottom of London. You know, these kind of massive distances and, and, and like a lot of English cities because Greg's from Manchester, you know, which is equally huge. And what he will say is when he has students or staff that come to Queen's, they look Northern Ireland's in its totality. So they will know that they can be um, working in Queen's during the day. They can, if they're in the surfing, they can hop in the car and an hour be up to the north coast or an hour the other way. They can be down to the morns and go walking. Do you know what I mean? This, this, uh, do we actually yeah. always need to be thinking in these kind of little separate terms or should we be looking at, you know, the whole? I think it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at things. And I, I think there's definitely potential in it. But what I think we would need to do is that should be the corporate approach to Northern Ireland, I would suggest, rather than something that happens by default. And I'll give you an example. The Republic was very good um, back in the late 80s when the Republic was really on its knees economically. It, it had its own version of Live Aid to raise money to create jobs, which kind of shows you laughably where it was at in desperation and also at, at, at what the low ebb it was. But it basically came up with a conscious plan of identifying key industrial sectors, which, had, which they believed had good growth potential in the future. And they were right in a lot of them. They picked on software, um, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, um, various other biological sciences. Um, but what they did is rather than put them all in Belfast, they consciously distributed them around their territory. And bear in mind that the public has been a pretty centralized jurisdiction throughout its history. Um, so this was kind of against the, the grain, really. But by, by doing that, what they ensured was they could sell the Republic of Ireland as a whole to people. And they could say, oh, you're in the, um, you're in the software sector. Well, you should really look towards Limerick, where we have trained people because we are, we are setting up courses at the Limerick Institute of Technology and the university and all sorts of software development. And we will tailor courses to your company there uh, because we want you to set up there. So relevant, the, the problem in Northern Ireland, we are very laissez-faire about outside development. Invest Northern Ireland says we can't tell people where to go. So we sell in Northern Ireland and they decide where to go. And on that basis, the vast majority of them will decide to be in Belfast because it has a large population it's somewhere their, their senior staff are more likely to want to live because of the quality of life and the cultural offering, and it has the connectivity. So Stormont should really, in my view, do what the Republic did, look at the areas that Northern Ireland wants to be targeting, because we should be targeting certain sectors and not scattergun going for everything. We should really work out what our niches are, what we want our niches to be, and we should look to uh, distribute them around our territory. Um, so that would mean Derry should specialise in certain things and the university there should be geared up to offer courses in those certain industries. And the whole region should be around developing trained people who can work in those sectors. Um, assuming, of course, you pick winners, you pick sectors with strong future growth and uh, which are well paid as well. Because... Treating Northern Ireland as a whole is fine, but what we don't want is Northern Ireland as a whole, where Belfast is where you work and the rest is where you play, because that doesn't work for anybody. We know Belfast has uh, some of the worst congestion in the UK at the moment. And if Belfast is seen as, as, as the, almost like the, is, the Israeli version where Tel Aviv is the party city and Jerusalem is, the, is where a lot of the business stuff goes on. Um, you know, we don't want that in Northern Ireland because it will just accentuate the current problems we have. Uh, around people having to commute long distances, around congestion and everything else. So I think it's a really interesting idea, but I think it needs to be at a, at, at a stormant level. I've never heard or never seen 
either our politicians or our civil servants try and look into the future, determine opportunities and distribute them around our jurisdiction. Instead, it's very much, let's see who knocks on the door, let's throw a bit of money at them and let's see where they want to go. And surprise, surprise, the, the majority end up in Belfast. And I would w- add one other quick caveat as well, Brian. Uh, Northern Ireland, and I don't mean this in a political way, I really don't. Northern Ireland is an artificial entity. For example, Derry's hinterland is more Donegal than it is the rest of Northern Ireland. Once you get beyond Strabane and Limavady, um, you know, areas beyond there, Colway and areas like that don't look towards Derry, even though it's by far the biggest uh, population centre nearest to them. Um, whereas Donegal would massively look towards Derry as its hinterlands. So we need to be conscious of the cross-border element. Um, it, it, that analogy of, of Northern Ireland as a unit, maybe it should be you know seven counties in, in Ulster, could be eight or eight or nine. Parts of Monaghan will gravitate towards Armagh, for example, more than they will uh, Dublin. Um, so I would urge a bit of caution on that, but, but hopefully that makes sense. I think it's a really interesting proposition, but we need to guide it if we want that to be the approach, because otherwise we will have all of the pl- all of the work happening in the east, and and the rest will be there for just fun and sunshine. Okay, so you're a- advocating the annexation of Donegal, Cavan, and Monaghan. <laughs> no. uh-huh. oh, no, longer would you? Uh, yeah, longer. <laughs> um, it is. It's. Uh, I I think because I've, I've been thinking a lot about t- universities lately. Because um, we do a lot with, with mostly with Queens, but a, a certain amount with UU as well. And I've I always think UU UU always plays second fiddle the Queens. Uh, I know they'll hit me saying that, but it, it Queens I think works because it's got stronger brand. And I think part of the the reason is the campus, okay? Because the Queens the building the Lanya building is beautiful, you know, from the eighteen forties, and it's quite easily identified. Um, you know, if you Google Belfast photos, I mean, the Queens will always pop up. Whereas UU has kind of always suffered from being in, uh, you know, Corey and Jordan's time. I mean, they're not exactly, you know, architectural delights. Um, whereas the McGee campus is actually quite a beautiful building. And I think UU, I mean, I know we can rehearse the whole uh, university debate from the 60s. Um, but I, I think it really damaged UU in terms of image and branding not to have the kind of McGee as a focus. Do you know what I'm kind of getting at? Because it actually, yeah. when you move to Coleraine and Jordanstown, do you know when you're trying to create something new in the middle of nowhere? It's very, very difficult to do. You'll know from, you know, uh, your your work and branding and regeneration, you, you kind of need, there needs to be some kind of kernel of, of history or culture or, or, or truth in there. And you had all that in Derry. And by focusing on these kind of new, ugly 70s buildings, you just anonymized it all. And it, it makes it very, very hard to build any kind of culture or brand or heritage around. And I, I think that's, is, is one of the most um, disastrous things about not kind of building, you know, on the McGee campus. Yeah, I, I would I would really agree with you on that. I mean, firstly, there's a clear uh, academic disparity between Queen's and Ulster, and we have to be honest about that. There's a lot of snobbery in the academic world. Queen's is, is a Russell Group university. It's primarily Russell Group because it's in Northern Ireland. Um, it's, it's ranked about 25th in the UK. Most Russell Group universities would be in the top 15 or so. But it's, it's considered a good and a strong university. It has a long history and heritage behind it. It kind of feels, it has that sort of Hogwarts feel of a, you know, an important place where, where, you know, research and, and knowledge happens. It really has that smell and vibe around it. And it feels like a proper university. Also, university is ranked in the 60s. So it's roughly in the middle for universities across the UK. But as you said, it doesn't really, it doesn't have that longevity doesn't have that history and heritage. It grew out of a, firstly a, a 60s university and then a merger with the old Ulster Poly to bring in Jordanstown. And I, personally, I think Ulster has made a series of major strategic decisions in its history which have been not strategically the wisest. If you were to start from scratch now and create a, an Ulster university, would you, for example, uh, put a campus into Belfast at all? Belfast is already well served by a significantly better university. Ulster will never be able to compete with Queen's in, in, in Belfast. So people 
either in Belfast or from outside who want to go to the best university they can will gravitate towards Queen's. That's not in any way to belittle Ulster or to belittle people who want to go there because it will play an important role in, in educating people of all sorts in, 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 Bel- in Belfast and in Northern Ireland. But, you know, there's a bigger, there's a, there was a bigger beast that has marked Belfast out as its territory before Ulster went in there. So I would question the wisdom of doing that. On the other hand, you have this entire western part of the north of Ireland, which would include, you know, Donegal as well, uh, which doesn't have a strong university offering. But Derry feels like a university city. It feels like it could and should be a university city. Coleraine, I don't think, has ever felt that. And I think history has shown that right. There's been a university in Coleraine for 50 years, yet there still hasn't been a tradition of students living in a town. They still live in relatively unglamorous coastal villages a few miles up the road. And that probably says something about Coleraine's ability to develop into a, a genuine university town. And I know people will will hit me with the big bats for saying that. But you know, why are students not living in Coleraine 50 years after university was moved there? Um, I think it's an important point. So... You know, there needs to be there needs to be a, an exercise done. We had the Lockwood report, which led to the creation of of the University of Ulster in the sixties. There needs to be a twenty twenty version of Lockwood, whereby we look from afresh at higher education provision in Northern Ireland. It doesn't all have to be university focused, by the way. Uh, we could do what the Republic and other places do. We could let our our higher education, further education colleges, have more degree awarding powers. Um, that's another way to look at it. Um, but I think we really need to look at what higher and further education provision we want in Northern Ireland and where it should be and have it linked into the opportunities for employment, which either currently exist or we want to exist in the future. Um, we know at the moment roughly a third of students in Northern Ireland go away for university and the vast majority of them don't come back permanently. And that's a major brain drain. It also probably tends to be the people at the real top end, uh, you know, who who the real talented people who I guess will go anyway because they want to go to Oxford and Cambridge and people like that. Um, but we're certainly, there is certainly a brain drain involved in all of this. So I would argue for a new Lockwood report. I would agree with your comment. I think, you know, I don't think we've geographically spread our higher education offering around Northern Ireland in the way we should have. And I think we should look to equip other areas which aren't universities with more degree awarding powers, why shouldn't somebody be able to study for a third level qualification in Enniskillen in OMA, for example? Um, it could be in just in certain courses. OMA, there's no reason why OMA couldn't be, be developing people for the extractive industries, for mining and things like that, which are quite big in Mid-Ulster. Uh, it's about marrying up opportunities with, with uh, employment need. So yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think if we were to be starting it again, with universities in Northern Ireland, we wouldn't have ended up where we are now. Because um, I think Derry is such an obvious university town. I mean, one of the, the, the kind of phrases you always hear about, about Derry or Ireland, the Derry, you want to call it, is it's kind of, you know, it could be the Galway of the North and that it's got that kind of small vibe where it's compact. There's a lot of culture, background, you know, the kind of music, the arts, the history, you know, you've got the walls. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a no brainer that it could have been quite a beautiful university town if it had have been allowed to kind of, you know, develop that way. Yeah, uh, I would argue that, um, you know, Galway could be the dairy of the South. I honestly think dairy has more of the raw ingredients for success. It has way more history than Galway does. It's got more scale. It's about twice the size of Galway now, even though Galway's growing fast. Um, Galway basically had beauty and location, which uh, kind of went for it, which was a positive. And it was, uh, in terms of how the city developed, in terms of the urban fabric, it also became quite an attractive city in itself. Um, so that's what went for it. But it, it, it just doesn't have the scale and the heritage that, that, that Derry has. Derry has been a meaningful city on the island of Ireland for over 400 years, significantly earlier than Belfast was. Belfast, without being disparaging, was effectively a few mud huts uh, at the mouth of the first, uh, at the time that Derry was given its charter. The Belfast wasn't chartered until I think it was 1888. Derry got its uh, 200, 270 odd years earlier than that. Um, so it kind of has that feeling. It, it does really does feel like the thing missing in Derry is a university uh, you could even argue that there's a case for us to have more than one university. I, I studied in Bath in England, 
which is a city of about 90,000 people, so smaller than Derry. It has two universities, uh, a sort of an arts-focused university and a science and technology-focused university. And they, they both work really well because they both train people in very different things. And there is a, an arts and cultural aspect to the city of Bath, so Bath by University really taps into that. You know, Derry could really make make a go of, a, of a, an arts-based university. I really do think that. But it would also need the other stuff, the more hard-nosed business, uh, you know, uh, information technology, engineering uh, aspect, because fundamentally that's where, where more of the jobs will be in future. But, um, well, sorry. Just yeah. the... Um... Just because I know I want to kind of move on to the other topics, but just one last question on education. Um, the new UU campus in Belfast has become an absolute money pit. I mean, the latest costs are $360 million. I mean, I've talked to some people who predict it could go as high as half a billion by the time it's, it's all factored in. Um, so I, I can see two or three years' time, UU, you're just going to turn around and say, like, we're skint with, with no money to invest in dairy. And if that happens, I know there's a movement to have like almost like a new independent university in Derry or to link it up with so many institutions in Donegal. I mean, do you think there's any kind of merits in in, in creating a, a new institution that that's apart from UU? Yeah, I mean, firstly, the New Deal, new agreement that, that was signed in January has as a priority the creation of a bigger university in Derry. Uh, we're, we're told that there's no money for that, yet there was no problem finding a 126 million emergency bailout unbudgeted for University of Ulster's Belfast campus uh, in February of this year. So that really grates in Derry that despite being an agreed priority to expand our university, there's no money. But as soon as also University botches its own uh, development project in Belfast, money magically appears. So that, that that's the first thing. Um, yeah, I mean... I, there's there's uh, there's real frustration within the city of Derry at the slow progress of McGee expansion, and this is not just Derry people pleading for things. Ulster University themselves have said repeatedly for over twenty years that they will deliver a ten thousand full time equivalent student campus in the city. So this is about them being kept to their promises. Not only have they failed to do so, the university has actually been shrinking in size. They've been moving courses and staff out of Derry to, to their other campuses. The university student union bar closed. Is now the, rep, the, the, the cafeteria closed. Is not even talking of shop closing. It, it is death by a thousand cuts for the McGee campus. And on top of that, you have a situation whereby Ulster is now, as you mentioned, financially heavily invested in making its new Belfast campus a, a success. But also organizationally, it will not have the bandwidth to consider any other large-scale capital investment until it gets that new Belfast campus finished and delivering. It's it's already, I believe, uh, tracking three years behind, uh, three years late. So that means they'll have lost three years' worth of revenue uh, from students. Uh, it'll have delayed, it'll, it'll have a knock-on impact on the courses that they had expected to move out of places like Jordanstown. So, I mean, I think strategically, moving all of Jordanstown 15,000 students, 2,500 staff into the most expensive uh, uh, site for property in Northern Ireland, the centre of Belfast, was deeply flawed to the point of idiocy. They could have moved at least a portion of those students and staff to Derry. They would have got the land for an absolute fraction of the cost, and it would have enabled them to meet or deliver at least part of their promise to to deliver 10,000 full-time students in Derry. So with all this frustration, it's clear Ulster University haven't said it yet, but they've as good as said it. Their new vice chancellor uh, said about a week ago in an interview that they, they, they just won't be looking at expanding McGee anytime soon. And I think it's it's only a matter of time before they do put their hands up and say, look, guys, this isn't going to happen. We're so invested in Belfast. That's the direction we've taken, right or wrong. We now need to make it work for at least a decade, if not a generation, we cannot look at, at putting significant numbers of students anywhere else. So this movement for an alternative uh, independent university for the Northwest, because it's not just about Derry, it's the idea of making it a cross-border project, linking into Letterkenny Institute of Technology, which has an aspiration to become a university, which is fast growing, which is getting funding from the Republic's government. 
and also potentially tying in with Sligo Institute of Technology um, a bit further down to the to the west. Um, it's really gaining traction, and uh, it, it, a lot of people in Derry have effectively mentally checked out of Ulster University. They just don't believe they're going to deliver for us, and they believe this independent university is the only way. We're now starting to see politicians in the Republic saying that as well. Uh, a senior figure of Fine Gael, for example, in the last day or two has come out. And and since John Hume died, there's been a, a sort of a lot of, of talk about a John Hume University to honour his his uh, legacy. Whether that means the university should be named after him or part of it be named after him, because you know there will be politics involved in this, unfortunately, um, is a secondary matter. But we now have senior figures in governing parties in the Republic of Ireland saying it's time to look at uh, higher education provision cross-border in the northwest of the island. I hope we will get this stage where Stormont figures on both sides uh, of the political divide here can start doing the same because the current situation cannot continue. The emperor has no clothes. Also, university has no money. It has no organizational bandwidth. It will not deliver its 20-year-old promise of 10,000 students to Derry anytime soon. Okay. Um well, on that note, can we uh, should we look at some kind of maybe blue sky days that that do you think could transform um, Derry? Because anytime I'm up there, I always think that uh, making it a kind of green city, uh, green as an environmental, not as a nationalist, <laughs> uh, could be a, a bit of a no brainer because the city itself is actually quite pretty. I mean, you've got the walls, which are a fantastic, you know, a tourist attraction and, and resource, but it's it's not a very pleasant atmosphere to walk around because there's a lot of cars and especially like rush hour and the, 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 the fumes and the noise etc. I mean, it would almost has anyone ever proposed making the, the kind of city center like like car free zone and and I'm going for the more kind of environmental quality of life kind of green side of things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two very different angles in this. I would propose the first is making it more of a people uh, centered city. Uh, a place where it's more enjoyable to spend time, to spend money, and therefore uh, that would be part of the route to revitalizing the city centre. Like like all city centres, the, the centre of Derry has struggled in recent years due to change in consumer habits, people shopping more online, due to the uh, what I would call ill-advised development of uh, edge-of-town shopping centres. We have something called Crescent Link in Derry, which, as anybody who's ever tried to drive in and out of it knows, it is a disaster from a planning point of view, and it's a high concentration of shops. And it's really just dragged people out of the city centre and poured cars into that area and left the city centre rather void um, of opportunities and retail opportunities, which otherwise would have been based there. Um, so it's about making the city centre a better place to live, quality of life. And again, this isn't just about, oh, you know, we want our city to be a wee bit nicer. This ties into, uh, in a previous life, I, I was European marketing manager for the Walt Disney Company. And we looked at relocating our back office um, IT development staff because we were paying a lot of contractors, and most of whom were South African, Australian, and New Zealanders, who could only stay with two, who could only get a visa for say two years. So we kept losing our talent, and we were paying them a large sum of money because they were on contractor rates to do development work that we soon figured out we could do elsewhere just as well for a tiny fraction. So we started a whole process of a beauty parade of locations across Europe, uh, from Poland, Hungary. Belgium, the Republic of Ireland, uh, looking at alternative locations. And we uh, assessed all sorts of criteria for why, we, as a scoring matrix. Uh, so quality of life, availability of staff, and cost of those staff, everything else. And we came, we, and we picked a destination on, on that basis. But that, for me, was a really eye-opening exercise because one of the key learnings for me from this is when a company looks to relocate Yes, availability of talent is extremely important. The cost is extremely important. But very often, it will come down to, will my senior management want to live there? Will their families want to live there? Will their wives, husbands want to be there? Is there something for them to do? Will the kids want to be there? Is there good schools for them? And that really taps into quality of life. And if you have a city like there, that its center is quite run down in parts because you know the the retail voids haven't been filled which is very car dominated you know why why is that somewhere that people are going to be really happy to spend their time and their money in um so there's a real piece of work to be done around what we do with a center of Derry, as there is for lots of other centers like belfast and everywhere else 
but Derry really was at, at, at a significantly lower ebb. So there's a piece of work to be done around that. In terms of the Green City idea, I would also say there's a completely different opportunity here. Uh, I wrote a piece for the Derry Journal around this. Um, there's we, we know that uh, green tech is going to be a big growth area in the future, renewable energy, but also other, whether it be battery power and other things. We know there's big opportunities in this sector. There is nowhere in Ireland which is gunning for this, and I'm not aware of any town or city in the UK which is gunning for this, certainly not since Dyson took his electric car project uh, away from Wiltshire and moved it to Singapore and then eventually scrapped it. So I think there's an opportunity in the UK and Ireland for some town or city to really target uh, green industries. That could be everything from uh, energy production. So, uh, you know, we have a huge amount of coastline within a, a stone's throw of Derry. So for, for tidal and wave energy, you know, there's huge opportunities there. Wind energy, we have a lot of uh, wind opportunities in the area. Um, so there could be a lot of academic and research opportunities, but also production opportunities. The biggest producers of wind turbines in Europe are the Danish and the Dutch. The biggest coastline of any individual country in Europe is the UK. Um, within that, it's Scotland, within the UK, and then also Ireland would as well, but we're not tapping into this. So, and, and then there's also other sectors within uh, environment, whether it be battery for, for energy storage. Um, also, you tap into the, sort of the, the green living aspect around nutrition and health. So I think there's an opportunity for somewhere on the island of Ireland and in the UK to really pick out this niche. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about letting areas of Northern Ireland have niches that they can own. So we're not all fighting each other. We're not all having a tug of war to attract the same companies into our areas. So that Invest Northern Ireland can knock on somebody's door and say, you're in clean, you're in green tech, look at Derry, rather than saying, where do you want to go? Or saying, no, come to Belfast. Um, and I'd love to see Derry targeting that. I think it would tie in with the, the natural beauty of the city and its surrounding. I think it makes sense. We have a port there. We have coastline. We have wind. We have a lot of ingredients. We have a, a growing university, which could be have chunks of it directed towards green tech. This is something I'd really like to see the city focus on because sooner or later, somewhere in the UK and Ireland will target a niche in this and that opportunity will be gone. Uh, so there's the green living aspect, making our city a more livable place, a more enjoyable place. But there's also the hard-nosed economic and job aspect of it too. Got it, yeah. Um, I suppose that, that, that is... that's. Is is fundamentally the issue really is is who kind of spearheads all this and and, and who leads it? I mean, it, it it is a massive loss, I suppose. Oh, no, the death of John Hume. I know he's been out of politics for the past decade or two, but just to have somebody of that stature who who can open doors in, in Irish America and you know to bring the jobs and stuff. So it, it is big shoes to fill. I mean, instead of kind of, you know, waiting for a messiah, I mean, is there anything we can be doing on the ground as regards, you know, small businesses, startups? Um, is there anything that we can be trying, you know, from the ground up, essentially, you know, to kind of help improve things? Yeah, I mean, there is. But the first point I would make is we have in Northern Ireland our own devolved department for the economy. So we have uh, some funding uh, resources and bandwidth to focus on developing our economy in Northern Ireland. Um, in my view, that needs to be much more directed towards regional balance. But to echo what I mentioned earlier, I think the Republic was a really interesting case study when it deliberately targeted niches, allocated them across its jurisdiction, and that has led to buoyancy in Cork is now one of the largest pharmaceutical producers in the world. Um, the Republic as a whole is one of the largest software producers in the world and Galway and Limerick, for example, for a considerable period of time, do people like uh, Dell and Gateway really took had advantage from that. That piece of work, to the best of my knowledge, has never been done in Northern Ireland. We've never tried to map out future opportunities to see which ones fit with our jurisdiction and to try and allocate them accordingly across our jurisdiction linked into educational needs and educational opportunities. So that's the first thing I would say. We have a department that should be doing this. We have a quangle, a very well-paid quangle by the name of Invest Northern Ireland, whose job would then be to go out and make that happen by attracting in and providing uh, incentives and subsidies to bring people in. We have 
that entire system to make this happen, but we're not using it in that way. So we can have a lot of bottom-up stuff, and, and, and I'll come on to that in a minute, but the easiest way to do that is to take the infrastructure that exists within government, which is supposed to be doing this, and to target it appropriately. Because at the moment, it just kind of feels like we scatter gun money around. Who wants to come to Northern Ireland? I know there's been some stuff around back office, stuff around financials and law and stuff like that, which has really helped in Belfast. But I just don't see this big picture, this intelligent focus on future winners and what we can do to bring them in and spread them across uh, Northern Ireland. And I really think that's missing. Um, to, to go back to the, what you're saying about the, the bottom-up stuff, in Derry specifically, I mean, I, I think there's a piece of work in Derry to be done around self-belief and self-starting. I think Derry as a city has kind of been beaten down over time. You know, that city, there is a, a kind of a despondency, a shrug of the shoulders in Derry. Derry used to really be a, a fighting city, and I mean that in the nicest way. You know, people in Derry you know, used to really stand up for the city, but now there's very much a, oh, sure, that's just how it is. Belfast gets everything, you know, sure. It, 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 it will be that way and the shrug of the shoulders and we all toddle along and just deal with things as they are. I think there needs to be much more self-belief in Derry and much more desire to change things for ourselves. As you mentioned, you know, John Hume brought in Seagate and other employers. There's nobody on a white horse who's going to be riding to Derry's rescue. We need to pull our city up ourselves by its bootstraps and that will meet, need lots of individuals doing lots of small-scale things, setting up businesses, locating back to the city, and basically generating as much um, economic opportunity and positivity as they can themselves within the city. Because if we're waiting for Stormont to do that, do that for us, it won't. Uh, and if we're waiting for anybody else to do it, it's unlikely. So we need those two things allied. We need Stormont to accept its responsibility to take a strategic approach to development and to finally start doing it. But we also need Derry to start dragging itself up by the bootlaces. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I'm not saying Derry people you know, are, are, are sitting around and being lazy in this at all. I just think we've lost a lot of self-belief. And we've got a hell of a lot to offer as a city. We've got a lot to offer as people. And I think we need to have more belief in ourselves. And just the, 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 the hunger and the thirst to really show the world what we can do. Okay. Um, is there any, I mean, I wonder how many years have they tried to kind of target the diaspora or, you know, for, for investment? Um, what did I come atop Roma Downey? <laughs> but uh, do you know what I mean? I think we've always been kind of bad, I think, in in, in Ireland, North and South, about kind of utilising the, the, the diaspora overseas and the kind of 40 million Americans of Irish descent, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we don't seem to kind of use that, you know, those historic links as well, as well as we should. Yeah, I mean, some of that does happen, uh, both North and South. I'll give you an example. The Ford Motor Company opened in uh, Cork in 1920s, and that was pretty much because the Ford family had connections to County Cork. That's why they opened up there. And they, they, I don't know if that Ford facility is still there. I think it might have closed. But it's but there was decades-long investment and employment opportunities offered in Cork City off the back initially of making tractors and then making cars uh, because of an historic link between the Ford family and Cork. We do have examples in the Northwest of companies where individuals have gone off and done well for themselves and then for, for their own individual quality of life purposes – have decided to move back and either bring their business with them or to open up another office there. There are, there are a number of examples in the city. Most of them are at a relatively small scale at the moment, but they certainly have the potential to become big players in the future. There is some of this. There was, there was a very interesting uh, sort of bottom-up-led proposal to have a, um, like a diaspora fund for Derry, where we, where we, we were, uh, which would tap into people who've, who overseas both who've done very well for themselves, but just people who can offer you know a bit of uh, funding and time and expertise and try and channel it into certain projects within a city. Um, it's gone a bit quiet recently. I don't know if that – it just feels like it's not happening, but it would be certainly something worth revisiting and something actually for various parts of Northern Ireland to look at, if we're honest. Um, because, yeah, we, as an island, we're very lucky. We there is There is a lot of emotional goodwill towards the island of Ireland across the world particularly in the US, which is still the world's only superpower and it's still its biggest economy. Uh, we are missing a trick to not try and tap into that more. 
it tends to happen more people in the US spearheaded and come to us rather than us going out and trying to tap into that. Um, I guess I'm sure it's been tried before. It's 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 probably not nowhere near as easy as it sounds. The whole um, homecoming gathering idea in the Republic, I'm sure that was, which was after the whole Celtic Tiger crash, I'm sure that was tapped into trying to get business opportunities here. Um, but it's certainly a string to the bow, which should be tried more. But uh, again, it, it's not going to be the single, you know, the magic bullet that's going to sort everything out. But my God, we need to get better at tapping into the goodwill that exists towards us around the world and especially in North America. Okay. Um, now, before we finish, is there any other ideas that you, that you think is kind of uh, relevant to chat about for I mean, maybe just generally in Northern Ireland or, or specifically to Derry? Um, the, one idea which I, I've written about a couple of times, I think, on Slugger and also in, in the media in Derry is the idea of a free port. Um, now, it's complicated by the withdrawal agreement and the fact we don't know what guys that's going to take at the moment. And it's that's kind of been in the process it seems have been torn up but basically at the moment free ports are effectively duty-free for businesses they're a piece of land um usually around either a uh, marine port or an airport which are given a designated status and are treated as if they're almost not in the jurisdiction to which they're connected and then that then allows products to be brought in to be processed to be assembled and brought back out again without any taxes being levied and that therefore means things like cars, for example, which will take thousands of components developed all around the world, can be assembled in a Freeport location, are significantly cheaper than they would be if that location had taxes being levied at different rates on different things coming in from all those different parts of the world. Now, one of the positives of Brexit, I'm not a fan of Brexit, but one of the positives within it is the fact that at the moment the EU doesn't like Freeports because they're a kind of like a form of state aid. It doesn't. It, it, it's an unfair a tilting of of the uh, of the benefits towards certain areas and certain jurisdictions. So whilst free ports have and do exist within the EU, they're, they've been watered down to kind of provide almost no real benefit. When the UK leaves the EU, the current government is very hot on the idea of free ports. It sees it as a way of levelling up the north because a lot of the, the larger ports are in places like um, uh, 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 Blythe, for example, which is a surprise conservative win. Uh, other ports on Teesside, Tyneside, places like that, Merseyside. So it has it has the idea of having a number, probably be around about 10 free ports around the UK, and it is suggested that at least one of those will be in each of the four nations in the UK. That would mean Northern Ireland would get a free port. Now, we'll leave aside the complications around the withdrawal agreement and the fact that Northern Ireland could be, how, how it will be tied into the rest of the EU for, manu- for manufacturing for goods. But as things currently stand, the government wants a free port in Northern Ireland. If you look at where that could be, I can only really see three potential locations myself. They would be Belfast, Warren Point, or Foyle, Derry. Um, Larne is basically uh, not really set up for this kind of thing. It could be. But in short, we're talking about a free port either being in the east of Northern Ireland, which is already the economically most developed area, or in the West, which has got the highest unemployment and also the greatest economic need. So I would argue that if we were to take a view of regional balance and economic development of the jurisdiction as a whole, that Stormont, Northern Ireland PLC, should be looking to ensure that there is a free port in Northern Ireland and that it should be located in the Northwest. Um, it's a great North, Northwest. The foil port is unique. It, uh, you could have a, a free port with an airport on one side, a seaport on the other side, the sea on one end, a railway on the other end, and a dual carriageway just beyond that as well. So you kind of tick all the boxes of connectivity and infrastructure in a way that none of the other sites could. If you had a free port in Belfast, it would get it would just cause traffic chaos. Warren Point's too small, I think, and Larne tends to be more focused on passenger and rule on, rule off. Um, and again, it's just would be just about improving the the east of the province, which is doing quite well as it is. So that's a big idea which I would like to see Stormont taking seriously, because if that opportunity is going to come to Northern Ireland, let's take a strategic view on where it should be located. Let's not just leave it to whoever runs individual ports to have a bun fight amongst themselves and squabble over who should get it. And I would make the argument that it should come to the northwest. 
Okay, that's good. Well, what we'll do, Steve, is uh, I think we'll we'll leave it there because we've covered quite a bit. Um, so Steve is a regeneration consultant, and hopefully you have, you have some new posts coming up on Slugger for us. Yeah, work working on a few. Need to uh, get them over the line, but yeah, quite a few actually. Okay, that's good. Um, if you've enjoyed today's show, um, please subscribe and like us. And thanks to the Ulster Bank for who are partners in this series. So Steve, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. So thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you. Been a pleasure, Brian. <laughs>